0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire podcast network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation podcast network brought to you by Go Wild. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity yet to check out Go Wild, you need to do so. It's an app that goes on your mobile device, and it's similar to Facebook and Instagram, except it's 100% outdoor focused, and when I say outdoors, I mean hiking, camping, hunting, fishing, and everything else that you do outside. Uh, That's the outdoor community that kind of lives within Go Wild, so be sure to check it out, and you can do that two ways. One, go to the Google Play Store or wherever you download your apps and download it to your your mobile device and uh, start playing around with it second go to their website time to go they have a ton of great information on the website explaining what the app is all about the community that they're involved with and lastly some really cool things uh, coming down the pipe from go wild especially one notable one A partnership with Garmin and some of their devices and how uh, Go Wild and Garmin devices are going to interact. Some really cool and exciting things. So go to the website, download the app, and get outside because it's time to go wild. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back, relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now all right everybody happy hump day (laughs) I don't know I don't know I'm so immature every time someone says hump day to me I giggle a little bit or if the the number 69 69 comes up I laugh at that too But anyway, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Enter the discount code 9FINGERS and you're going to save 20 bucks on your next Exodus Trail Camera. Now, today we're going to be talking with Jason Allen from Missouri. Um, He's actually been recommended uh, to the podcast. You know, every once in a while I will get on social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and say who is the best deer hunter you know and uh, one of his buddies recommended that jason come on the the podcast and talk a little bit about his hunting strategy how he hunts where he hunts Some of the specific strategy that goes into every year, Um, and it's just a really good episode. I love when we can get guys like this on, who are who who are and have been consistently successful throughout the years on. Big, mature whitetails. And when I mean big mature, I mean big mature in uh, respect to their area. And uh, Jason's going to talk all about that in today's podcast. Uh, If you love listening to um, good old-fashioned hunting strategy from Average Joes, you guys are going to love this podcast. Now, before we get into uh, today's podcast, today we got to do a commercial. And we're going to be talking about prime. Now it sucks because when I was at the ATA show, I did not get a chance to shoot their their new lineup which is almost embarrassing, but you know, full disclosure I didn't. Now what I will tell you is this past year I used the logic, the prime logic, and that thing throws arrows it's awesome right it's just a, a another awesome bow everybody needs to go out and shoot it if you're not shooting a prime um before you make a decision on what bow you're going to purchase if you're in the market for 2019 uh, season you need to check out a prime and give it a fair shot because it's a kick-ass bow um now this this year they've added I believe different brace heights and different axle-to-axles uh, lengths uh, for the logic. Uh, so there's just a more of a variety of different. Uh options for the Logic uh, series so go check out Prime Bows either at a dealer you can go on on to primearchery.com or Prime G5 and uh, take a look at all the models that they offer find a dealer go shoot one and uh, like I said give it a fair shot when it's time to uh, uh, purchase your next bow I I seriously um, I I don't think you're going to be disappointed so there's that Commercials done. Introductions done. Let's get into today's, man. I don't even know what to call. We'll just call we'll do it. We'll do a mashup, right? A BS session hunter profile all mashed into one BS profile with Jason Allen of Missouri. All right, on the phone with me right now, Mr. Jason Allen. How you doing, man?
1: I'm doing great, Dan. How about yourself?
0: I can't complain. First thing and most important thing. I owe you a congratulations because you just had a child, right?
1: Uh, yes, sir. I had my first daughter.
0: Wow. i tell you what. I got, I, when I had my first daughter, um, this is going to be kind of sappy, right? And <laughs> they, uh, they, they took her out of, they took her out of uh, my wife, laid her on my wife's chest. And they, my, my little girl looked, her eyes were wide open. She was she didn't cry at all. Uh, she, they laid her down on her chest and she, she made eye contact with me. And I tell you what, I didn't, you know, they say that babies can't smile at that age, but it looked like a smile to me. And. I felt like the grinch right? It's just like his heart grew seven <laughs> times in that day, and like and ever since then it you know, I bitch about my kids, but when I first became a dad, it was a game changer dude and i and I love it.
1: Oh yeah, man, yeah, it's amazing. It's nothing you can explain, honestly, nobody can understand it unless they go through it.
0: yeah, absolutely so uh, let's see she's what like a week old, two weeks.
1: Yeah, she was born 2 weeks basically. It'll be 3 weeks this coming Thursday morning, January 3rd at 6:35 in the morning was when she was
0: born. Wow. So, let's see here. Um, sleep are you getting sleep? Is she sleeping through the I doubt she's sleeping through the night yet, right?
1: Well, actually, yeah. Yeah, There's she's some, been sleeping really good. There's some nights last night she was a little little bit of a bear there to get down. And once we finally got her down about midnight, she was good the rest of the night. But
0: I hate your guts. most
1: of the time, she's she's like slept seven hours some nights through the night.
0: So oh, my God. My kids still don't sleep seven hours throughout the night, ever.
1: I try not to talk about it too much because, you know, you start talking about something and then it's going to change on you. So <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, it's, it's funny. Just, just try
1: to stay quiet about it. That's right.
0: It's funny you say that because, like, the evil part of me is just like, man. I hope that baby wakes up, you know, the next 30 days in a row and goes crazy. Cause it, it's uh it sucks. It, it really sucks. It, it, I've never been so tired where, where you're like, you start seeing things. You're so delusional. It's just you, your motor skills start going and it's all because of that little bundle of joy. And then you're, you're in like, for me, I was in my living room, go almost like to the point of breakdown, and that with my first son and I'm rocking in the chair and then he finally falls asleep and then you, you look down at him and you're just like okay now after you stop being an asshole you're pretty cool I like you you know it's awesome so congrats congrats yeah, dude you, but this is a this is a deer hunting podcast or a hunting podcast and that's what we're going to talk about today so Why don't you tell everybody, first off, where you're from and what do you do for a living?
1: All righty. I'm from southern Indiana, more uh, in Clark County, Indiana, just north of Louisville, Kentucky, about 15 miles. Uh, It's the county that's right across the Ohio River from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, And I'm northern end of that county. Uh, I work in cement. Uh, Basically, there's a cement manufacturing plant here in Speed, Indiana, just south of me. And I do industrial electrical work in that, in that plant, basically electrical maintenance and some production jobs. And we make cement for America.
0: Well, that's awesome. Um, How many years have you been doing that?
1: I've been there about six years now. Six years. Okay. I've been in that,
0: that job. Cool. Cool. So that keeps you busy, huh?
1: Yeah, it keeps me very busy. That's what this, This time that we finally got to talk, I know we've been trying to like plan stuff. My schedule is normally like, uh, I work first shift on Sunday, second shift on Monday and Tuesday and third shift on Wednesday and Thursday night. So it gets a little crazy.
0: (laughs) Oh, I would say so. And now that you got a, a baby, I I say it, it gets real crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Wow. So let's, first thing I want to ask you as a hunter how does that affect your hunting? You just kind of got to go with the flow. Like when you're working first when you're working first shift, you're hunting in the evenings. When you're hunting or working second shift, you're trying to hunt in the mornings, and third shift is just whenever you can get to it.
1: Yeah, man. Actually, uh I I like tried to get on this shift whenever I started down there because it works out great. Like you don't have to just hope on the weekend that you're going to have a day or two of good weather it could be any time throughout the week you have daylight so yeah. you need daylight you know to be able to hunt so i'm like i work some at night some during the day some in the midday so that i can hunt mornings i can hunt evenings i can hunt all day long on friday or saturday if i want i mean it's actually a really really phenomenal shift for hunting
0: <laughs> okay okay so you you actually pref- do you prefer it or would you rather be on kind of a uh, a Monday through Friday, you know, your, your standard schedule?
1: Uh, I, I prefer it personally for me, I prefer it, but with the new baby and everything that's, I'm going back to it for just a few weeks here during shed season. So I got a little more time to shed hunt Gotcha. and it's for one of the guys at work, but it's, that's my reason for accepting to do it. And then, then I'll be going back to day shift like Monday through Friday. That's Just kind of for the, for the personal life, for the wife and baby and everything, it'll just be a lot better for them if I'm here in the evenings and at night, so. Yeah, I hear
0: that. I hear that. All right. So, you know, I, you hear good things about Indiana, right? And. They you know, Iowa is not a sleeper state. You know, Kansas is not a sleeper state. Uh Illinois is not a sleeper state. Kentucky's no longer a sleeper state. You know, the, the cat's out of the bag. But one one state that I don't hear a lot of people talk about anymore is or I don't hear a lot of people talk about in the big buck category, and that's Indiana. But I've talked to lots of people who say you know, if you have access to the right farms, there's really good quality deer hunting in Indiana.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I can agree with that.
0: Okay. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about, you know, uh, some of the terrain in the area that you hunt, you know, are you hunting public? Are you hunting private? Uh, kind of, uh, tell us about the lay of the land and, uh, I guess your, your typical farm in that area.
1: Yeah. Uh, basically anymore I'm hunting mainly private farms they're anywhere from like you know I just picked up two new farms one's 35 acres and it's basically all timber and it's kind of rolling like maybe a 120 foot of elevation change on it just from one end to the other like with a knob in the middle basically and the the front's kind of low it goes uphill and then back downhill in the back and then uh, this is just from Ariel. I haven't even put boots on the ground on that place. I yeah. uh, just got access just, just a couple days ago to that one. And then I just got access to a 110 acre farm that's all timber, which is great. Uh, and it's got kind of like a cedar or pine thicket through the middle of it, probably 30 or 40 acres deep. And then, you know, hardwoods on this side and the backside. From what I can tell and what I know about the area, most of our most of our timber, if you get it, and then you go looking through Google Earth to try to find, you know, different uh, time frames of when the photos were taken. Try to get a night or a, a winter time photo so you can see where the pines and cedars are. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of that where there used to be old fields and they've grown up. You know, old cattle farms and uh, that. There's a lot of crops around. Basically, if there's a field open, most of them in my area have. Crops in them. They have soybeans or corn, one or the other, and occasionally an alfalfa field. Um, I don't have too many alfalfa fields to hunt right now, but occasionally you'll come across one. But yeah, your normal, you know, crop rotation—beans, corn, back and forth, one or the other—and uh, there's a there's a lot of farm ground around. The timbers fairly uh, like most of it that I hunt has. I like elevation. I like different ridges and I don't really like flat you know you can see out the other end of it if you get a flat timber around here most of the time if it's not you know a half mile long you're going to be able to see out the other side of it so I don't know that kind of restricts yourself whenever you're trying to trying to hunt you kind of have to do the edge thing and hunt the edges hunt little bottlenecks and little things like that it just restricts you too much
0: right so our a majority of the properties that you hunt, um, what, what I would call smaller, like 40 and under, 40 acres and under? Or do you have access to some bigger farms, let's say like over 100 acres?
1: Uh, yeah, I lease 140 acres uh, about an hour from here west in Orange County, Indiana. And uh, I've got, I had last year, up till this last season, I had a 500-acre farm Uh, but it was, it was 500 acres, but it only had 130 acres of timber on it basically. So you were hunting a lot of ditches and just little draws and there was like a good 40 acre section of timber right in the middle of it, Yeah. but it wasn't, it was, it was real flat and it stayed kind of wet. Deer didn't really bed there very often. Uh, you know, they were going off of me to bed and then I was hunting them kind of in their little transition to food, but right before they got to the food. So right. if they weren't moving early, you were just kind of out of luck. <laughs> right. Basically. Right. So And we killed some deer. I mean there was there was gobs of does, you know, but getting your four year old to walk on there was really hard. Yeah. You know.
0: Right. So how does that how does the southern part of Indiana where you hunt it sounds like, differ from let's say the mid to the northern part of the state?
1: Uh, just mainly terrain because it's it's a lot more hilly down here. There's a lot more elevation change when you get when you get up to about I don't know Seymour Columbus. You get kind of up in there if you're around one of the rivers, the White River or or Muscatatuck. There's some terrain change and bottomland and top. But uh, once you get up north, I mean it's just flat as an air as as a board. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Once you get up there,
0: I can remember driving through. Uh... Whenever I would go to Columbus, Ohio, I can remember driving through Indi- parts of Indiana, and it's just really flat. So, um, so, yeah. So I take it the southern part of the uh, state holds more deer.
1: Yeah, I mean there, there's a lot of deer down here. Uh, I know, like whenever you break down uh, like the bonus tags and stuff that they allow, DNR allows every year. Most of the counties down here, up till just a couple years ago you could kill eight in each county eight eight bonus does not counting your other your tags you could fill but you could get another additional eight does in each county oh wow and uh most of the northern states are like two or four you know there's there's definitely a con a concentration of deer down along the ohio river and then up the wabash river
0: gotcha so uh when you go out and you're you're sitting in your stand down there in southern indiana What is a typical, you know, from a numbers standpoint, how many deer are you usually seeing in in a, in a sit?
1: Um, generally I'll see anywhere right around 10 deer Okay. generally in like a morning sit. And then man, that lease that I had up till last year. I mean, it was all crop fields, but I mean, you get into that like late October when deer are really hammering them and I happen to have some beans still standing Yeah, and I mean, you'd see 40 or 50, yeah. you know, before dark.
0: Right. So really There'd just be deer. Every- yeah. So good quality or good quantity.
1: Yeah. Everywhere I've been, there's definitely pockets. I mean, you hear everybody talk about, you know, the herd's way down and don't get me wrong. I think the herd in Indiana overall is pretty low compared to other states that surround but there's definitely pockets where there are just really really good numbers of deer you know the place that I'm on now like I was just out there I finally checked some cameras and stuff trying to get some feed out trying to find out you know what kind of inventory I still got left and pulling my cameras I had seven cameras down there you know with the baby coming I hadn't gone down and checked them in a couple months so I went down and pulled all those cameras off last weekend. And, uh, you know, there's like, I was finding fresh scrapes where deer are still scraping and there's just the trails, the logging roads are just, they look like they got cattle trails going up and down them where the deer are still running around they're in there. And, you know, one way to do that on little farms is not pressure it real bad. Yeah. You know, we don't, I don't hammer the place basically. So, yeah. So it's good having a lot of multiple farms because you never really wear a farm out.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was thinking about that Um, the other day too. Like, yeah, I have, I have about 1,100 acres in one area and then I have a completely separate, separate farm closer to where I live that I hunt. But my main hunting farm, and it's not one farm, it's multiple landowners, but it's all kind of in... They all touch, right? And it's somewhere around eleven yeah. hundred acres. Now, not it's not all huntable, right? There's probably out of that eleven hundred, there's probably I wanna say six hundred acres of it is probably egg field, right? So that leaves you with like four hundred acres to jump around in with tree stands, right? So so I was thinking about that. Would I rather have let's say like 10 40 acre pieces which seems like a lot or my one big main farm that I have and I I really didn't come to a conclusion on what I thought would be better but I think if I had more smaller farms I would be a lot more aggressive in my hunting strategy
1: yeah Yeah, because you're, I mean, you couldn't get to all of them too many times in a season, so you could be absolutely as aggressive as you wanted to be for, like, two or three sets, and you really wouldn't mess the farm up too bad, Right. you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, that'd be a hard question, man. I mean, I've got a lot of little farms like that, but I've, you know, I've had bigger, bigger places before, and then a lot of it's gotten broken down where, like, an old farmer, like, we had permission on, a bunch of farms. And I mean, it was, it probably totaled about 1500 acres, but it was kind of like what you got where it was 1500 acres, but there was, there's maybe only 300 acres of timber in it. Right. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And it was nice. It got broke down over the years with like kids inheriting and then they decide they're going to sell off their piece or they don't want me hunting anymore. So it finally got broke down to where it's like this one last little, like 150 acre, like there's a hundred acre field and then, a 50 acre field and just some fence rows between it is basically all I got left there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now quality, right? Cuz I've already heard you mention four-year-old. Do you have a a standard or a goal going into every season like I'm I want to shoot a four-year-old or I want to shoot a, a deer that's 150 or, or goals like that or how do you how do you judge what you're going to try to take every season?
1: uh generally i have an age goal generally it's four-year-old around here uh that's just kind of like if i got on the right farm around here i would maybe even step it up to five-year-old because i really like to see what they do but i know that the places that i hunt if a four-year-old even honestly it's a miracle that they make it to four because you just like get all these pictures of three-year-olds and they're like, man, that deer is going to be so nice, you know, when he gets four or five and then he gets shot, you yeah. know. And that's just the standard across basically everywhere, even picking up this new, new lease this last year. I saw that happen because I just saw all of these really nice three-year-olds and I had some just stud like four or five, six-year-old. I mean, over the summer they were, I had this one deer, he was like. He was gonna solid hit the one seventy and it was in July. Like yeah. he was already at one seventy then. Right. So and he had time to grow. So I know they're around and I know the genes are there, but the chances of them getting that old are just very, very low because there's so many hunters around. Yeah. There's a lot of uh there's just a lot more pressure, you know, because those farms are broke down. There aren't it's like like your farm, you know, I mean, it's eleven hundred acres and it's different landowners, but every different landowner hunts on every little piece, you know, Yeah, basically we we got, I got a lot of that around the places that I hunt, but generally a four-year-old, I don't really, antler score doesn't really matter to me too much. I mean, obviously you like, you end up having like, you know, I guess the deer that I normally end up taking is the one that I'm like, holy crap, you know, whenever I see it coming right, and it's just like. Yeah, he's definitely a shooter, and you just know it. Like, I don't have to do any kind of little algorithm in my head. Like, I just <laughs> know it whenever I see him, you right. know, and it, it's go time. It's right. about to happen with this buck. So, so
0: on a on a property, okay, so this lease, and I, I don't get a lot of guys on here who te- typically lease, but this is always a question that I that I've had. How many other guys are you on this lease with, and how many acres is it?
1: Uh, it's 140 acres and I have, so I kind of handle my leasing a little different, man. I like kind of control it. So if you're like the big buck hunter, you're not going to be on my lease. Chances are, (laughs) because I like to kind of, no, we don't want two stands that are like 80 yards apart. Just this, this spot will be good, you know? And, And most of the guys that I have on there, there's four of us. It's myself, my dad. Who I can fortunately still hunt with, yep uh and uh two other guys, a pastor from his church, and then a guy that goes to his church, so we're just we became really good friends over the years. we like to hunt both of those guys, Derek, the one guy from his church, dad's just kind of like took him under his wing because his son wanted to start hunting his like twelve year old son so dad just kind of took him under his wing started showing him you know the ropes well then he kind of enjoys it so he was like hey if you have a place open up on your lease then let me know so i got him in on it basically asked him if he'd like to have a part of it and then the pastor at the church we've always hunted forever like for 20 years we've hunted together so we uh we kind of dad was the same way with him like he came into the church and dad kind of took him under his wing cause he was excited about bow hunting. He was interested in it. And next thing, you know, we're still hunting together 20 years from now, from then. So, gotcha. gotcha. and those, those guys aren't like, they don't, they don't want to kill. They obviously want to kill a four year old deer, you know, and I'm, if you hunt my stands, they're going to probably be in a spot where you have a really good chance because I'm not going to just hang a stand that's, you know, to shoot two year olds. I'm yeah. just not going to, it's a waste of my time. And, uh, so there's always that opportunity, but those guys are like totally happy with a two year old, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, so you know, they're, they haven't killed very many deer on Derek. He's never killed a deer yet. Uh, his boy got his first this year during our youth season. He killed a doe down there on that lease out of a turnip plot. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, those guys, my dad and I, we both killed real nice bucks this year. Uh, his was one of my three-year-olds that it was, it was one forty-three, and or one fifty-three. I'm sorry. Nice and uh, fourteen-point and three-year-old, like weighed 160 pounds soaking wet, <laughs> basically November the 14th. So. Yeah. I hated to see him go, but I mean, it was my dad's biggest buck, you know, like, I'm not going to tell anybody like, no, you can't shoot that. Like, Hey, if it makes you happy, shoot it, you know? Uh, And if there's only so many guys on my lease that, I mean, them killing a couple of two year olds or a good three year old, that's going to be a booner next year, them doing that ain't going to like ruin the hunting, you know? Yeah. And it's going to make them really happy. And I mean, I'm, I'm always happy for guys to just, I, I love being a part of it. You know, it's awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So as far as this lease is is concerned, you're never having to really argue about who gets to hunt where or like, okay, it's the the rut and now there's four people on this property and you don't – I don't know. I just – that's one thing that's really turned me away from leasing because I like to be so mobile and obviously – with my time, I want to be as efficient as possible and I want to go and in, dive into the best stands and then if you like down down in the south I'm I hear these guys talk about okay well there's a thousand acres I pay X amount and I get this section and only this section for for the lease. so you're paying you're actually you're not paying for a thousand acre lease you're actually only paying for a hundred acres right, or whatever, whatever the amount is, and to me, I just can't, I can't do that, like, in my head, I I could never work that in, because I like to be mobile, and if there's a a big deer, you know, that's across some imaginary line, I want to be able to go try to kill it. Oh, heck yeah, yeah, so,
1: yeah, and that, that, you know, I mean, it's not one of them things where it's like, this guy's only got this little piece he can hunt, like, they all know that, Hey, you can hunt any stand that you want at any time. And if I put them up, they're probably a good stand. Right, Like it's probably in a good spot. i I have like observation spots, like I'm sure you do. And I have like, this is a kill spot. Like you don't go in until October 26th at the earliest, but any first cold front after October 26th, you go to this spot, you know, right? I got or you. And there's normally multiples of them, you know, and then playing the wind, like, I, we kind of, like, I'll print out a map for those guys, and then each stand will have, like, wind directions, like, you know, if you're gonna, if you wanna, if you're gonna hunt with a west wind, you need to hunt one of these sets, basically, and kind of just draw it out, I'm almost kind of like guiding them, but, it's not like they're paying me to guide them. They're just paying their part of the fee on the lease. And I get a place to hunt and I get to show them and maybe they'll kill the biggest buck they've ever seen. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Makes, makes a lot of sense. So,
1: I mean, it's, it's a good way to get some new guys into, you know, right. Into hunting.
0: Right. So you actually had a buddy of yours. I think it was reach out to me first. And he said, and you got to get this guy, You got to get this guy on your podcast because he knows how to kill big deer. And so I'm like, all right, set it up, you know, and we bounce back and forth. And here we are. So somebody out there thinks that you're a good hunter, right? Now, what I want to talk a little bit is about how do you approach every season? I mean, are you running trail cameras, food plots? Are you that kind of guy? Or are you the kind of guy who just waits and goes in? Or break, break down how you lay out your season and how you approach it.
1: Yeah. Uh, most all of my pre-season, everything is shed hunting. So I'll walk and I'll learn and I'll see exactly where the deer are really moving at. And I use cameras. I mean, I have 15 or 20 cameras and I got them spread out over all these different properties. And, uh, you know, so I run those all through the year. I never stop running them. I've actually picked up three cell cameras this last couple of years and they're just amazing. You know, yeah. I actually, they've, they've changed the game for me. Actually the last two years, the bucks I've killed have come because I was like, there were deer here last night. They went to to feed. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to kill one, you know? Yeah. And then I go in there and I kill one. Like mm-hmm. it's been that way. Literally the last two years, I have pictures of I don't know if it was necessarily the buck that I killed, but it was a buck with a doe or there was the one I killed this year. There was like eight different bucks went down this ridge, you know, and I don't think I got a picture of the one that I ended up killing, but eight different bucks walked down this ridge the night before. I'm like, there's a really good chance. One of them is going to come back. I mean, the way the wind's going and everything, it's not the best spot to sit just because of the way the wind's blowing. (laughs) It was bad. It was blowing towards the field, but it was the way that they were going to naturally walk up that ridge because the wind's right in their nose, you right. know? And I just, I just happened to beat his nose. But, uh, most of the time, m- most of my scouting is this time of year. And gotcha. that's why, like, you know, I'm going back to swing shift so that I have all this daylight to be able to go scout and shed hunt and find out where they're bedding. Like I find dead bucks all the time, you know, and I know that's they may have gotten shot and they didn't make it to their bed but a lot of them probably are in their bedding area, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, so that's where most of my, most of my season prep starts at. And then it leads into trail cameras. I, I run mineral. I try to like, I got this lease last year, so I hadn't even stepped foot on this ground before February, like 12th last year, this place that I killed my buck at and dad killed his buck at this year. And, uh, so basically the way I came into it, I, i took mineral out i started some mineral stations just two of them so that i could kind of get an inventory like how many what kind of deer here i know they're deer here because there was like 20 old scrapes on this place whenever i went to check it out in january february so i uh put cameras out not a lot of bucks but not big bucks necessarily, but there was a lot of bucks on the place. So I was right. like, well, that's good because at least you've got a good high number that there's a good chance, you know, some of them are getting up to some age. And the first day I walked it, I picked up a deadhead laying in a treetop that was a mainframe 12 pointer. He had his G3 broke off on his right side, but he was a mainframe 12 pointer, like three year old, like hardly any mass, but good tine lengths, nothing like crazy. I mean, they were all, it was like his brow tines all the way through, like his G4s were all like right around eight inches. Okay. You know, and then he had G5 stuck out there too. And then he was like big long main beams that ended up being like 24 or 23 inches. I mean, just 150 inch three-year-old, you know, Right. solid in the mid 150s. And uh, so I picked him up on there. So I'm like, well, this is a good thing, but it's bad that he's dead. You know, I wish I'd have picked up his sheds instead of his head, but,
0: yep. uh, so that's, but, that, that's a, a new farm that you picked up, right?
1: Yeah. I, I just, just started last year, uh, February 12th was when I walked it. I think the first day I walked, it was February 12th. Gotcha. Okay. Of
0: last year. Okay. So, so first, first steps boots on the ground then. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Definitely. Gotcha. So after you, you know, and, go ahead. No,
1: that's fine. Go
0: ahead with, with. Yeah, I just wanted to say. So after you get boots on the ground, and you, you know, are you walking every inch of a new property to try to uh, find the terrain features, find the bedding areas, like the the edge? Let's say if it's real thick in one spot versus wide open in another spot, or is it just quick, or is it really in depth scouting?
1: Uh, no, it's definitely very in-depth and I, you know, it's I use a lot of Topo maps too and aerial photos and I use the Onyx app and everything, which before that I just had like, I used like a company, MyTopo and I'd print off a map or whatever, or I'd take it and I'd screenshot it on my phone. So I had, you know, every little thing, you know, but I'm trying to find, yeah, I literally see all of it. generally i will walk all of it i'd normally walk like two or three hundred miles a year for shed so it's not really a you know like 140 acres wasn't much
0: right (laughs) wow you love shed hunting
1: i love shed hunting it (laughs) is absolutely like give me two weeks of deer season and the rest of it i just don't even really care about for the most part i love going out you know and i i strike whenever all the conditions are perfect, like the buck I killed this year. Everything was perfect. It was good and cold. The wind was the way that I kind of wanted it for that set. And it. I knew there was bucks in that field, in that bean field, because they went down the ridge that night before. So I knew they were probably somewhere close, and there was a good chance. Right. So,
0: okay. Cool. So let's see here. So after you get your your boots on the ground and you – you scour the entire farm, you know, you shed hunt it. What's the what's the next step after after you've you've done the scouting, what's the next step as far as prepping for the upcoming season?
1: Yeah. Uh normally I've you know, that whole time I'm like dropping pins on where stands are, where where the bedding is, where it looked like there was good like rutting activity, yeah. you know, like I don't think a buck would bet here, but there was definitely a buck with a doe or something coming down this ridge at some point this last year. You know, um, I'm marking all that on my on X or however I'm doing it yeah. at the time. And I'm laying out where my really good spots are for stands. And then I start, I normally have got most of my stands up, like at least those good rut spots. I've got those up like before turkey season generally those stands are already in a tree like this year that was how the two stands my myself and my dad killed our bucks out of i said these are going to be the best two stands on the place and i had them hung before turkey season basically within the first month of being on the place gotcha um uh, if there's a big buck in the area there's a good chance that you could kill him in either one of these spots and uh just the way they were laid out so then we get into like you know i like to turkey hunt so i normally turkey hunt and i'm still like watching cameras and things like that during that time and then i really like food plotting i've not necessarily always had a lot of ground to food plot on because i like hunting timber so much and the uh you know the leases that i come up with a lot of times they don't have spots for me to food plot but this one happened to it had two two fields one in the bottom one in the top that were probably close to a half to three quarters of an acre a piece, which is, you know, perfect kill plots. Right. And, uh, so I planted some turnips and different things in them just to kind of, and clover. I really like clover because it's easy. Once you get it started, you can just kind of keep mowing it. You don't have to, a lot of times in the summer you get busy and you don't, one summer you may have all kinds of time for food plotting. And then the next summer you don't. Right. So, (laughs) you know, I like clover because I can just kind of keep it mowed. And that's, you know, and there's something for the deer to eat. Right. Um, Most, most of the times with food plots, I don't, I'm not like looking to kill a buck over a food plot. I've only shot like one or two deer out of food plots my entire time. I've been putting out food plots for 20 years. And, uh, you know, I've only shot one or two deer out of food plots because I don't really hunt them very much. They're just kind of there to give the deer a reason to stay on me or cross me one or the other, even if it's a night. You know, I just want them to be around my farm and on it somewhere or just on a neighbor where I could maybe capitalize on them and kill them. Right. So.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Not necessarily hunting them, yeah. but keeping them so that, yeah, maybe they're hitting it nocturnal, nocturnally, but they're walking by your stand location in daylight. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. I mean, I don't know the whole time. That's the thing. Like all the time we've been putting food plots out and stuff. I mean, I've literally only shot a couple, couple of deer off of them. You know, we put, we put a couple of blinds basically on the ones we put up there. So whenever Derek took his little boy, Logan out there, they could get in this ground blind and like on an elevated platform, be able to kind of be comfortable while they hunt. Right. Okay. But I ain't like hanging my nicest lone wolf stand on a food plot. Yeah. You know I'm not gonna do that. it's just gonna, kinda kind of wasted and I'm never gonna hunt it
0: right so when you're when you're out there looking for places to uh, hang a tree stand, what specific terrain features or I mean do you have a favorite place that you like to hang tree stands? uh
1: not necessarily. I like to utilize ditches so for access and stuff, most of the time a lot of my stands a lot of my stands are based off of how I can get into them and out of them so a lot of times it's right around a ditch and I like the like the upper third of those like if it's a ditch up a hill you know and then up towards the top where it's not so steep a lot of times they can cross easier and then obviously you got that little bit of a wind tunnel there too where it's if you can hunt it with a certain wind um (laughs) and I you know I like to hunt the wind um a lot of times coming over the top that's kind of where my dad killed his buck at this year we hung the stand there so that when they were cruising with that like northeast north northeast wind when they were cruising that they'd be right in that that general area It was kind of a big saddle that runs it's a big saddle that runs almost the whole width of our lease down there yeah. and uh that's kind of where i hung hung that stand and he ended up hunting and i have you know i had two or three hung kind of on that south side third of the way down the ridge kind of around the ditch or something i had a few of them hung like that it was just kind of the pick of which one are we going to hunt and that one there was just there's thick bedding on top of the ridge on the other side of the ridge there's thick bedding downhill from you i mean it was just like a textbook spot for a little pinch yeah you know
0: and uh historically those are the like historically you get a lot of traffic through there uh is that is that safe to say
1: oh yeah yeah the day dad killed his buck he shot it at one he shot it at like 115 in the afternoon it was like the 13th deer he'd seen that morning oh man so are are, like seven of them were bucks
0: wow so are you an all-day sitter or do you like to you know come in and then go out
1: uh, well, unfortunately with my schedule, a lot of it, I have to hunt like little bursts yeah. here and there. So I like all day sitting. I don't like doing it whenever I'm doing it, just cause it's so wearing on you. You know, you're like, Oh yeah, I like to sit all day until about the third day. And then you're like, man, I hate this
0: Yeah, absolutely. But, <laughs> yeah. Everybody tells me, but, I, yeah. everybody tells me I should definitely keep I should definitely sit all day, but the last three years I haven't needed to. So I think I'm not going to do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, it's, it's one of them things, man, that if I think it's, it's last year we sat, I don't know, me and dad probably did like three all day sits where we ended up staying out from daylight till dark. And, you know, we saw deer like right in the middle of the day and then we saw some deer early. And then a lot late, which we were hunting a lot of ag fields then. So, I mean, it wasn't like where we were hunting at. I had the time to be able to do it because I happened to have a bunch of time off work. But right. it just wasn't efficient. I mean, I like being efficient, man. I don't like being out there and just sitting countless hours in the stand. I used to love that. I mean, I used to hunt 60, 65 days in a row, but I just don't like that anymore. Like, I right. try to, like... I want it to be where I can like go in and maybe hunt a day or two or three days and I want to be done. Like, it's just kind of, that's just kind of where I've gotten to in my hunting life, I
0: guess. Absolutely. I agree. agree. Not that
1: I don't like being in the woods. I mean, I'll just, at that point, I'll take somebody else, you know, I'll get out the, I'll get out of my little commando set that I have where I can like climb up a stand and stick a couple of sticks on the tree and get up above somebody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So you shot a, well, well, one question before we get into this past year's buck with, you know, the one with all the mass. Um, yeah. So with what we just discussed, I, I take it, you're waiting for the right time of year. You know, you're not necessarily going in October, uh, you know, the first part of October, whenever the season starts to try to, you know, go, I don't know, kick up a deer?
1: Uh, no, definitely not, man. Not unless it just warrants it. You know, the buck I killed in 2015, he was a <laughs> he was a six-and-a-half-year-old, 160-inch, 14-pointer, and, a half year old, inch, 14 pointer. and uh, he basically, it was October the 7th. That was the, <laughs> that year I just happened to be able to, I was on second shift, and I was being able to hunt in the mornings, and I wasn't getting any evening time. And, you know, that time of year, that first week, I normally hunt evenings and I just won't really hunt the mornings unless I just think that I need to. Yeah. But that year it was cold. Like it was just like 2015, it was the average temperature that first week was like 40 degrees. So, I mean, when it's like that, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get in the woods whenever I can, if it happens to be, the conditions are just right. I mean, in that morning, man, I saw... I saw nine different bucks and I would have stuck an arrow in six of them. Wow. Like they were, they were, I know for a fact, four year old deer, six of them. Cause we had a bunch living on us that year. We just kind of what we created on our little family farm with like nobody hunting this one little piece. And it was really thick, like a pine thicket. There was just bucks just living in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when you got and, a hot, and I
1: killed him and like, 1040 in the morning or something like that i mean it wasn't like it was really early either it was like 1040 in the morning he came in with four other three other bucks there was four of them and just kind of heading across like back towards bed
0: wow so, so that it's almost like they were still on their i guess it's kind of a summer pattern
1: yeah they were i mean they were that was the thing the morning bachelor group there was uh but there was like nine total. So there was like five in that group and there was four in the one that I killed the buck that I ended up shooting in 2015. And then that one with five, it had like seven or eight does with it too. I mean, there was just deer everywhere. And it was just one of those early October. You need to strike if you can, you know, I mean, there's, there's times when I just haven't been able to, it's just work and life and yeah, you just don't get to, but if, if it all pans out, I'm definitely not opposed to early early October trying to, trying to shoot a buck. I was hunting an observation stand. I wasn't even hunting like a, an awesome, like, this is where it's going to happen. I was just trying to find out, like, I knew they were there because I was seeing their sign, but I hadn't seen them. Well, I finally, I finally found the right observation stand and it just so happened he walked by, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. All right. So this year. Or was it earlier this year or was it last year when you killed the uh, that buck with a real big mass uh,
1: that was this year that was this in year. October uh, October of 2018
0: okay October so let's uh, let's walk through the uh, the harvest of that buck because man I tell you what that's a gorgeous animal. I love how the mass almost goes all the way out to the tip of the the main beam on <laughs> yeah it's ailer.
1: crazy it just kind of ends
0: <laughs> yeah so is this a buck that you had history with
1: uh no no not at all this was on that that farm that I had just picked up and I I never got a picture of him before I shot him
0: oh really so this is just a a bonus buck coming through
1: <laughs> it was a bonus buck you know it was one of those like I saw all these bucks go down the ridge the night before I shot him, uh, Mm -hmm. that evening before, but I don't, I don't have a picture of him going down that ridge. Now, the week after I killed him on a Friday morning, I think. Yeah. And then the week after I went out there and dad hunted the stand that I hunted because the deer were still, they were still hammering it. So he hunted the stand that I killed my buck out of. And when he basically got close to me and done, I made a loop through the property and checked all my cameras. And I mean, I found like, I think I found like 33 scrapes that day on the logging roads and stuff. And then, uh, I pulled the camera off this one where my dad ended up killing on that saddle where he ended up killing his buck at. And here, like I get strolling through him and the buck I killed, there he is. Like he was working that scrape over like October the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th. And then I killed him on the 19th. So he was there. I just hadn't, you hadn't checked seen the camera him. yet to find out he was there. Okay. <laughs> you know.
0: Gotcha. So I, what, what. I
1: try a- to stay out as much as possible. I'm, I'm very low impact. You know, whenever you're hunting farms like that and like I have other places, but this 140 is basically where I'm going to probably set up shop for the most part you got to be very, uh, just meticulous about when and how you hunt it.
0: You right. Know? Yeah, absolutely. So describe the tree stand location that in as much detail as you can of where all these deer were traveling and then where this, where this buck ended up showing up and, you know, why, maybe why he, even he was using that, uh, that trail or that area.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, Basically, this ridge, when I got in there and very first started looking, I wanted to look, you know, I wanted to look over there where dad killed. That was like the first place I wanted to look. And then I wanted to check this place out. And uh, I get, it's basically you go up from, we park in a valley, and then you got to go up 140 foot elevation, and probably 300 yards, and then it's kind of flat and then on that saddle, and then it drops off on the back of the property. And this is like in the, in the southeast corner or southwest corner of the property is where this is at. And it's a big ridge that just kind of, it runs basically from west to east uphill, like it's going to the east uphill. And it was just it was really open it was just one of those really good like it's a hardwood ridge it's got a lot of oaks and different things but it's it's fairly open compared to what's north of it and what's south of it those are just awful thick man you can't when I was shed hunting I couldn't hardly walk all of it you know that's the type of stuff that was really slowing me down because it was just rose bushes and treetops where they had come in and logged it it's been logged in like property was logged in like 2011 or something like that so i mean you can imagine the growth that's in there and uh they left a lot of trees it was very select cut and uh but basically this like so to my north is really thick to my south is really thick and then this ridge runs downhill from east to west and then it dumps out into a big bean field like an 80 acre or 100 acre bean field on the neighbors right and uh It was just one of those spots that it just looked really good. So I put a camera on this just, I mean, there's so many trails. It was hard to, like, I just put one in a general intersection where there's like four trails that come together in between this bedding. And I just started getting a lot of pictures of deer on it, traveling, basically. And uh, I'm like 400 yards up from the bean field, probably something like that, three or 400 yards. I like I like backing off a long ways. The property line is like the edge of the bean field. So I'm 3 or 400 yards off the property line basically and it's all timber from where I'm at all the way down and all these thickets both sides it's it's big hardwood timber. It was just really open down this strip and it was maybe 50 yards to 70 yards wide. So <laughs> once I started getting so many pictures it was one of the first stands I put up. I was like this is just like A textbook, it's not a funnel like you have a 70-yard strip of woods between two fields, but you got a 70-yard strip of woods between two really, really thick thickets. Yeah. And, you know, one thing about deer is they'll generally take the, you know, the easiest path. They will. I mean, even though they aren't going to like walk through a wide open field whenever they got timber right there, but you know what I mean? Like in the woods, they're going to take the logging road a lot of times if it's like God awful thick on both sides of it. Right. You know, just path of least resistance. I mean, <laughs> yeah, generally they'll take the path of least resistance. I mean, in a, in a general circumstance and it just so happened the bucks were too, you know, they aren't going to drag their antlers down through a bunch of thick crap to my North. I didn't think they would, you know, they may. And, and that's the thing. There were so many trails that it was really hard to narrow down, but, I just kind of picked out an area and set up shop and I was like, it's a good general. I was in a first year too. So first year on a new lease, a new farm, I'm going to observe, I'm going to like put out a lot of stands that if it's like, I don't necessarily know where the bucks will move at. I'll hang an observation stand to watch. So, and just see. Now this one was a little more, I don't know, It's just a little easier because when you come down to the end of this logging road, it kind of just stopped. But there was like seven scrapes, like in February last year when I walked it. There was just scrapes all over down at the end. So I knew there were deer using and then going into this thick stuff. And I found a bunch of bedding and there was just rubs. I mean, there was just a lot of just textbook, like deer or bedding to my south and to my north. And then most of the property back to my east most of our lease is bedding. So you just had to kind of figure out when you're going to go in and how you're going to access it. And it was, it was pretty simple other than that, yeah. <laughs> you know, the access was the really hard part.
0: Right. And <laughs> did you, did because you, because you were coming up?
1: over top of a big ridge?
0: Oh, I got I'm you. Sorry. I gotcha. Did you mess up at all? Like the first couple of times going in there with access or did you have a good idea what you needed to do based off of like maps and topo?
1: Well, I had a good idea of what I needed to do. Uh, I only hunted the place twice. I hunted one evening, which evening was easy because I knew I'd be able to just get in there. The getting out would be the hard part, but I, I was hoping that by the time like I'm not opposed to sitting in a stand however long it takes before the deer get away from me yeah. to be able to get down on the stand. So <laughs> the first one, the first hunt this year that I had on there was on a Saturday evening. And basically I saw like gobs of does. I didn't ever see any bucks, but I saw like nine or 10 does in like an hour and a half, you know, right. I was out there and I actually, I went out, we finally got some cool weather. So I was like, I'm going to hang a couple of sets while I'm out here in a couple of good observation spots, and then I'm going to crawl up in a stand. So that was kind of what, what happened there. And I, I just wasn't interested in shooting a doe. I mean, didn't really need the meat at the time and I didn't feel like stinking up a really good stand, you know, by shooting a doe. So, and then the next time I went in was that Friday morning and (laughs) no matter what you do access and how much prepare, you know, preparedness you have, I get my dad, I dropped him off kind of at his stand. Like we were walking the general area. He was going to hunt at the top of the hill. I was going to go to the bottom of the hill. Just the way the wind was playing, it was going to work out good for both of those stands. So he dumps off and goes to his stand. And then (laughs) I go walking towards mine and I get to the top of the hill and I just hear a deer like bolt. And I was like, well, crap. And it sounded heavy. Like you could tell it was not yeah. a light deer. Wasn't necessarily the biggest buck in the woods, but, and I get down like another 30 yards and I can smell tarsal gland, you oh, know, really? for like, for like 60 yards. Yeah. So I was pretty distraught by the time I got to my stand that morning, I was like, man, but I knew there was the opportunity for it, uh, just because there was so many bucks that went down that Ridge the night before on that wireless camera. Yeah. Yeah and uh i got down there and you know i get up in my stand and basically like i'll use a light sometimes if i think that i need it it was it was fairly dark that night but i didn't really use much of a light um i normally walk kind of just by feeling my foot work and everything and i try to make paths so that they're easy for me to do that with right and uh and I get in there and climb up and I'm like waiting for daylight. I got basically everything's all set up in the stand. I'm waiting for daylight. So it starts to get daylight. I had a coon come in on me and it got out of there and finally gets to where like, I'm not going to open my cell phone to see what time it is. And, you know, and I'm curious, like, I wonder if this buck that I just jumped was in front of my camera is I got a wireless camera, like 12 steps from my tree stand. And, uh, I open my phone up and look at it and there's the buck dad killed. That's the one, I mean, he was standing there. It was like, it was like within five or seven minutes of when I jumped him basically. Yeah. So I don't know. It's one of those things I'm like, well, crap, you know, you kind of wonder, you wonder about the temperament of the deer. Like, is this a deer that's going to really spook? And like, he's going to spook, like he's gone. (laughs) He won't ever come back. He'll be gone forever. You know, or is he just going to still hang around? And most of the time, what I've seen is they'll still hang around. They may be a little more cautious, like in that spot, but they're still going to be around. It ain't like they're going to completely uproot and move, you know, three counties over just because you jumped a buck, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they do every now and then. And I mean, you hear about these guys talking about like dumping and hunting them. You know, I mean, it don't necessarily kick them out just cause you dump them out of their bedding, bedding area or something. I mean, there's a lot of deer that will stay around, you yeah. know, and, and dad's did. I mean, he stayed around for another month and he got shot. So, yeah.
0: And that's, that's the same tree stand that you ended up, uh, killing this buck out of.
1: Yeah. That was that tree stand.
0: Oh, wow.
1: <clears throat> that was, <clears throat> so, so I was walking, I, I got in there and I got set up and everything, uh, I think daylight, I feel like daylight, like legal shooting time was like around seven twenty-five or something like that. Seven thirty that morning. Right. And, uh, I was sitting there and uh, I just like happened to notice you could see the bean field. I mean, it's three or 400 yards and you can just see like little, like little spots of it. You can't really, cause it's still, I mean, it's October 19th. Like the leaves were all green. Everything was still green in the woods.
0: Yeah. <clears throat>
1: and, uh, I could see like a deer body coming up the ridge. So I throw my binoculars up and I look and I see, I see his rack. He was like turned back. So the whole like right side of his head, I could see his tines and his mass. And I was just like, that was whenever I got that, like, oh crap, this is a shooter. Like I need to get ready. But whole time, like I'm sitting here thinking, and it's, it's where you kind of got to like get out of your head sometimes. With deer hunting, I'm like, the mental side of me is thinking, why did I come to this stand? Because I have a 15 mile an hour wind blowing in his nose right now. Yeah. Like, I came here because I knew they'd walk up this ridge with an east wind, but man, is my scent, is like my scent control good? Like, have I actually prepared myself the way that I need to prepare myself that I'm going to beat his nose?
0: Right, right.
1: So me, I grab my video camera, like he's like 120 yards away down the, down the ridge. So I'm, I grab my video camera. I'm like, if he don't come in, I'm going to try to get some video of him because he's a, he's a nice buck, you know? So I'm like standing here video in hand on my tree stand and video camera. And I'm like trying to pick him out, but it's so splotchy through there. I really couldn't get on him very good. And the next thing I know, he's like 45 yards. And I'm like, oh, shit, like, I need to hang this camera up and get my bow. (laughs) So I hang my camera up and I grab my bow and, uh, I'm on stand and he's just, he's barreling right up the hill, just, just walking, just that old buck, like nonchalant walk, just coming up the hill Yep. and he walks all the way up. He gets to about like 22 yards and he throws his nose up in the air and I'm like, man, I'm done. Like, this is it. You know, it's either going to happen real quick or I ain't going to kill this deer. So he he turns broadside, like he's coming straight at me up the ridge. He turns broadside to my right, basically turns to his left. And when he does, he's coming up the ridge and he's going to go right behind my wireless camera. He wasn't going to come in front of it, which is really funny to me because I'm like, you, you think that no deer ain't going to notice it, but you wonder how many walk behind a camera or off to the side and you never get a picture of them, right, you
0: know? Right.
1: <clears throat> and, uh, he turns, you know, so he's got his head right behind the tree that my camera's on. So I draw back just straight I push my bow straight at him, draw back. I set on my pen and I have like a, I have like maybe a five inch hole, four inch hole. And I release. And when I release, I just hear this loud whack and my orange veins and stuff just go flying off to the left. And I was like, what in the heck just happened? Like I'm like, either my bow just blew up or I hit a limb. And I hit a limb. There was a there was a twig right through the middle of that little five inch hole. And I just dead nuts hit it right in the center. So my arrow goes flying off into the stratosphere this buck just like perks up and I'm just like, Holy crap. How's he not ran off? Right. Like this dude, he was just wending. He is at 22 yards was basically where he was at. I just shot at him and he didn't run off. So at this point, I'm just kind of like, okay, this is real crunch time, dude. You got to make every move count basically. Yeah. So he's still got his head behind the tree. So I reach for another arrow out of my quiver hanging on the tree, on the side of the tree. I get one out. I stick it on my bow. And he's like, in, in the middle of all this, he took like two hops away from me. And now he's like, I had ranged a, a stump down there that was like 32 yards. Yep. And I go, he's right at 32. So <clears throat> he's standing dead away. Then he turns. And when he turns, he turns straight at me. And he squares up straight at me. And he's just trying to figure out what just happened. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to figure out why he hasn't ran off yet, basically. <clears throat> he turns back the same way he did. He turns to my right, his left, and he stops again behind that same tree that my wireless camera's on. But this time he's got like his shoulder, his head, neck, everything's behind it. So I draw back again, he's at 32 yards and I like had to take a step back in my stand just a little bit, I leaned back and I let one fly and my Luminox didn't come on. So I couldn't see exactly where I hit at, but I knew that I was, I was pretty positive that I hit him basically. Like it sounded, it felt really good. The shot felt awesome. And I had a wide open lane. Now, once I got that tree out of my way, I was just, it was wide open as could be. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I text my dad and I'm like, Hey, I just shot, I just shot a stud and I'm going to give it just a minute and I'll get down and see if I got blood. But I watched him run down the hill and then he turned to the right and went towards that really thick stuff So you like, you basically can't really shed hunt it or anything. For the yeah. most part, it's just so nasty, gnarly, thick. You got to cut your way in. So I get down and there's blood right on impact. And so I text him. I was like, hey, I got blood right here. And it's, it's good blood. I don't don't see my arrow. and But I don't know if he left with it or whatever. But just come on down, you know, if you're ready to go. And it was like, this was like 8.15 in the morning. So he comes down and we start tracking. And... The, this deer, he still went like 150 yards, uh, really just an, a phenomenal blood trail. I mean, just clotting, falling out, and my arrow was only like 10 yards away. I got a complete pass through. Uh, it just so happened like the fletchings caught, you know, like in the hide before it fell out. He went like two hops, and then the arrow fell out. I just didn't see it laying over there Got ya. when I very first got down and looked but he went about 150 yards, man, and just piled up. And I mean, it was just, <laughs> I don't know. It's one of them things. Like I 10 ringed him. It was just perfect shot right behind the shoulder, center of the body. It came out about the back of the ribs. I mean, it was just perfect. I thought he was a little more broadside than what he was. Uh, but it still, it worked out. I mean, I, both of his lungs were in like five pieces. Wow.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome.
1: But, you know. Well, dude. It was a cool hunt, man. It was an awesome day. I love those like mid-October, get your buck out of the way seasons.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Man, there's, you know, depending on what I do this upcoming in 2019, I want to try to do something a little bit different. And like, I think it would be cool. Now I say this now, but I probably won't do it, is to get. Like, go in and take my vacation the first two weeks of October and see if I can't get it done, you know, in October as opposed to November.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if the weather's right, I have no doubt in my mind that you wouldn't get it done. Like, yeah. you would definitely get it done because there's there's such good hunting that time of year if you have the right conditions. They right. just – the conditions matter more than in November. Yeah. Like i don't know in november it don't really matter what the conditions are i mean they're gonna move regardless you know that first week or two so
0: yep absolutely
1: but i love the early october man i hate the real real cold like i honestly the day my dad killed his buck man like i i'll get out of the truck and you know i was already tagged out so like i get out of my truck and i'm like hey uh yeah, I don't think I'm going to go to a stand because it was like 25 mile an hour winds when we got there that morning, like at five in the morning.
0: Right. right. And
1: it was about 20 to 20 or 22 degrees, something like that. And it was just going to get colder and the wind was going to get stronger. And I was like, I'm going to go to a box blind. Like I'll just, I'm going to go over there. If a doe walks out, like right here in this specific lane, I'll shoot her. But otherwise I'm not, I'm just going to a box blind. Like it was just, it was just, I wasn't feeling it that day. There's some days where I just love to be in a tree, even if it's like that, but yeah. when you ain't got a buck tag in your hand, it's just, it gets really hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, sounds like you uh, had a real good year and, and, uh, overall that you love deer hunting and that's a win-win man.
1: Oh, heck yeah, man. Yeah.
0: Well, hey, uh, Jason, I really appreciate you uh, stopping on the show, chatting with us, BSing with us a little bit today, and uh, good luck uh, shed hunting. I'll be out there with you in spirit, walking and looking for bone, and uh, good luck on that, and good luck the rest of the year, man.
1: I appreciate it, buddy. Good luck to you, too. I hope you... uh find a big 90 inch shed. (laughs) I hope so. That's what (laughs) I always say to myself when I'm walking around. I'm like, man, I'd just like to trip over a 90 inch shed right now.
0: (laughs) And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, we are done with this episode. Thank you very much to Jason for hopping on and uh, BSing with us a little bit, man. Really appreciate your time. Huge shout out to all of you every one of you. I really appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. Please spread the word. Go to iTunes and leave a review. Follow the Nine Finger Chronicles on social media and I don't know, I guess just social media. Uh, visit the Sportsman's Nation website, S P O R T S M E N S nation.com. Tons of awesome information there as well. And lastly, uh, leave a review wherever you download your podcast, man, because that lets other people know that not only is the Nine Finger Chronicles a kick-ass podcast with lots of great content, but the Sportsman's Nation is as well. And if you are thinking about taking a Western trip, you guys need to start following the big game feed as well. Um, we got transition wild is a podcast we have the sun outdoors and the backcountry rookies if you're new to western hunting i really recommend the backcountry rookies uh tons of great information right there on those three particular podcasts and uh we also have uh the bear hunting podcast as well bear hunting magazine podcast that's uh, under the sportsman's nation umbrella so search for those tons of great content out give it a look i'm not sure what uh I'm not sure what states are still in season. I think certain parts of the South, (laughs) like you can almost all year round uh, down there. But uh, if you're going to be in a tree, for the love of God, please. Wait, man, I didn't even thank our sponsors. I have to do that because uh, they pay for this whole thing pretty much and they keep my wife happy. So huge shout out to Exodus, Ozonics, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, Ozonics, and Hunter Safety Systems guys. Honestly, thank you for uh, promoting or uh, partnering with this podcast. It means a lot. And uh, if you guys like this podcast, please go out and support the brands that uh, support this podcast. That really helps me out, helps the network out, everything. So, uh, huge shout out to all those guys. Now, now I can say this. If you're going to be in a tree, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us all to please wear your damn safety harness have a good rest of the week